Hello and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Networks podcast. This podcast showcases Dr. Nancy Nsia, who is a clinical psychologist, a qualified clinical psychologist, and it's a really popular route in psychology. A lot of people who study undergraduate psychology have aspirations and dreams of becoming clinical psychologists. So this episode is something that I've really wanted to do throughout the series, and it's really been great to hear about Nancy's route to clinical psychology, what the doctorate looks like, and her work afterwards. So stay tuned for a really, really illuminating and interesting podcast episode. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Black Business Psychology Network's podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Dr. Nancy Nsia, who is a chartered clinical psychologist. Is that what you call yourself? Like, are you chartered? You are chartered. I'm not chartered. Chartered okay. requires you to be signed up with a BPS. And right. Yeah, so, um, but I am a qualified clinical psychologist. That's it. I was getting there. (laughs) (laughs) So thank you for being on the podcast this afternoon. And yeah, just would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you for having me. So like you said, my name is Dr. Nancy Nsia. I'm a clinical psychologist um, of Ghanaian heritage. And I primarily work within, um, you can't see, but Grace is doing whoop whoop sign. Um, I primarily work within paediatric. So that's basically working with children, young people within physical health hospital setting. Right. So what we do is we apply clinical psychology within this setting um but then within my private work as well I also work with kind of adults and Mm -hmm. young people across the lifespan essentially working around supporting mental health difficulties excellent that sounds really interesting especially in a pediatric setting first off and then with your private work doing pretty much everybody else so first of all let's start from the beginning So how did, what led you to the path of clinical psychology, first of all? Um, So I studied psychology as part of my Mm A-levels. So I did psychology, biology, ICT and sociology. And psychology was always something I was really connected to. Yeah. Um, I noticed myself kind of having an interest in sort of people, how people make sense of experiences, Mm -hmm. but also... I didn't want to be a, a medical doctor. I, I can't stand touching people physically. That's not my portion. And I was feeling a, a great sense of kind of pressure from kind of my parents of, oh, you're smart. You're going to be a doctor as a medical doctor mm. or a lawyer or an accountant and having very kind of limited, um, limited um, uh, ideas around what a smart person should be able to achieve. Yeah. And so I remember us having a talk from somebody about the different careers that psychology could take you into and clinical Mm. psychology was one of them. Mm. Um, But sadly, that person also said, oh, but, you know, there's not that many black psychologists, so I wouldn't bother trying. Maybe you could think about other areas. Was that a black psychologist that said that? It was a white psychologist who said that. Um, Not a clinical psychologist, but um, yeah. Um, But I heard that and that, if anything, pushed me to be more motivated Mm. to just say, well, it's not impossible. It's absolutely achievable and I can make it happen. Um, Just in the kind of social context, Mm. mental health wasn't something that was talked about in my community. Like you go to church, you know, you pray if you've Mm. got difficulties. Um, But really just trying to get a sense of, well, well, how how do people kind of cope when yeah. they are struggling? You know, 
And I think my interest specifically in pediatrics is that it helps to marry or, or to bridge that gap between physical health and mental health. Yeah. So in my community, I can hear people talk about, oh, I've got a headache but then they won't necessarily say stress. Mm. And so being able to kind of walk into a physical health hospital when you have a physical illness mm-hmm. to see a psychologist can sometimes be a bit of a shock. Yeah. But what that does is then to say, actually, I hope you understand that we are holistic built beings. Yeah. We are uh, physical, mental, spiritual. And so it's be able, it allows us to be able to kind of connect that bridge yeah. to be able to work in a really holistic way. Mm. And so, yeah, that's what kind of sparked me to, not just do clinical psychology, but apply it in a physical health setting as well. That's really interesting, especially what you're talking about in the physical health setting, because maybe there's slightly less of a stigma if you're already in a hospital setting or a healthcare setting, feeling like you can access help and mental health help anyway, might be less stigmatising than going primarily for that. Like, oh, I'm already in the hospital, so I've got access to this. So I might as well use it. It might be a little bit more accessible mm. for some. In some ways, it yeah. Um, but also I notice it happened the complete opposite way of, mm. do you think I can't cope? Do you think right. I'm struggling? Right. Why Why? Why is it a psychologist has been called? Right. So I specifically work with um, young people who have really life-limiting um, serious conditions like cancer mm. or, you know, kind of respiratory or cardiac conditions. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it really, you know, it, it it speaks to kind of this sense of oh great you're getting this physical medication so mm-hmm. you should be fine but actually knowing that these things are tough they're yeah. really challenging so sometimes depending on your relationship to help it can still be really challenging to even give yourself permission mm. to access that that, that emotional is, support yeah I know that that really does make a lot of sense it really does but yeah that setting it sounds very interesting obviously it's got its challenges but I'm sure there must be some rewards that you get from it but it it does sound quite tough yeah a lot of people are like oh I could never work with dying children Mm. and and you know I probably didn't envisage that I'd be working specifically with this group but Mm. um I know myself and I know I find it difficult to work with particular type of traumas so Mm. for example I would find it really difficult to work in like a forensic setting Mm. or you know, just because, yeah, you just kind of get to set a sense of your own boundaries and what you find more or less easier to, to kind of work with. Yeah. Um, But I definitely find it really rewarding because although I can't get rid of the cancer, Mm -hmm. there is something about kind of helping someone to make a meaningful life um, and have the best quality life, even if they are coming to the end of their life, Mm -hmm. being able to, um, you know, get them to to connect with a greater sense of of purpose and how do I make the most of my time here, Mm -hmm. bringing families together, supporting healing, you know, helping healthcare professionals who are constantly having to just keep going with people you know, not always meeting that the that target of getting better, it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of keep going. So knowing that you can support doctors and nurses by offering that space to debrief or for support is mm. for me like the least I could do. It's, it's something mm. I really do enjoy. It sounds very rewarding as at the same time, it's, it's one of those jobs where my heart does go out to anybody doing a job like that, but at least it sounds like you feel like you're being useful in your role, like supporting yeah. the healthcare professionals as well as the patients and their parents and other um, primary health, sorry, primary carers to help deal with whatever's yeah. going on. 
Absolutely. And it's not all kind of dealing with death and dying. So I might do on a kind of, I might work with um, someone who's got a phobia of needles Mm -hmm. and who has to get kind of bloods taken. Mm. And so kind of just doing some graded exposure work and working Mm -hmm. alongside that. So it really is a mixed bag. It can go from, yeah, working with a child who's at the end of their life um, to kind of supporting a parent to disclose a diagnosis to um, a young person Mm. um, or just kind of needle phobia or someone feeling, yeah, really anxious about a procedure Mm. or someone's got physical differences in their physical appearance and kind of thinking around self-esteem and, Mm -hmm. you know, it's such a mixed bag. Every day is really different. Yeah. Yeah, so it, there is a variety in what you do, definitely. It can be helping clinicians, but it also could be working with, like, a parent who's anxious because their child's not very well at the same time. Absolutely, yeah. I'm not sure if I answered completely around the path, but I think I just oh. stopped at my... Um, <laughs> I stopped at, um, yeah, so by um, college. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, um, yeah, no. So what I did is I ended up with a uh, taking a... Bachelor of Science in, psych- in Psychology, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's an accredited course, which is really important in mm-hmm. order for you to be able to kind of work on the path towards being a clinical psychologist. Mm-hmm. And mine was a four-year sandwich course, which was super helpful. Yeah. Um, and on my placement course, I basically, uh, yeah, I, I emailed a whole load of psychologists and just said, listen, I have to have a year placement, Yeah. you know, where who's going to take me etc and I ended up working as an honorary assistant psychologist in a brain Mm. injury unit um but really still wanting to make the most of my experiences so Mm. I remember I would go in on a Thursday and there would be a trainee clinical psychologist and then also the qualified clinical psychologist and then the assistant psychologist and me as an honorary I felt like I was on the bottom of the rung to be honest Mm. I didn't even have a desk on Thursday and I remember just being like I have a year here I need Mm. to make the most to really figure out is this the career that I want to be in Mm -hmm. so I just approached my supervisor and just said do you this is really important to me do you have any any colleagues on a Thursday who'd be willing to take an honorary assistant psychologist Um, Mm. and he put me in touch with his colleague who'd just been asked to write a book a chapter in a book yeah and so I did the literature review because you know everybody wants to be able to connect with someone who's a university student has that free access to all those journals. <laughs> so, <laughs> they're not slick. I know what they were doing, but yeah. So um, ended up with the literature, doing the literature review, and from that he gave me co-authorship and the chapter. Brilliant. So I was able to kind of have a publication by my name. But within that, I within my kind of four years at, under, at undergrad university I also did um some work as a telephone helpline right. worker for rape and sexual abuse support center okay I also did kind of care support work mm-hmm. um and to be honest that was probably the most driven mm. that I was in my whole pathway to being clinical psychologist yeah. I know people have very different um a lot of people can you know post undergrads will be like working super hard let me get all the experiences I can but to be honest by the time I'd finished I wanted a job that was paid Mm. I did not want to be doing any volunteer work Mm. I did not have money for a master's Mm -hmm. and so I got a job as an independent mental health advocate because it connected to my values of working with people who are experiencing um kind of mental health um difficulties yeah and trying to get a sense of what it's like for them they are detained um 
under section right. and how do people kind of still kind of support them so my mm-hmm. role was essentially to inform them of their legal rights and right. to support them by advocating for them whether it's in meetings etc oh. and it gave me such rich experience mm-hmm. so I worked there for two years and then mm-hmm. I applied for the doctorate mm-hmm. so um and then thankfully got on um but I must admit I wasn't thinking oh gosh clinical psychology keep going keep going keep getting experience mm. it was actually my husband who a week before deadline said you should apply <laughs> and I was like, oh, you're right actually I should apply so needless to say my edges barely survived the stress of getting mm. everything together in a week mm. but um yeah it all took off from there so what was your after graduation obviously you knew that you wanted to go down the clean psych route and actually a lot of things you've spoken about like getting that experience from off the Mm. bat is really important luckily for you you did well you chose a course which is not luck you chose a course that had a sandwich year um and for undergrad at psychology level undergrad psychology that's fairly rare in the UK so I know Surrey I know you went to Surrey yeah now Bath and then there's a few more that I probably forget. I'm not sure if Cardiff still have one, but there's not many psychology BSc courses that have that placement year, but they mm. are invaluable. I've spoken to so many people that have done, that did the sandwich placement and did different experiences within psychology. Might could have been Clin Psych, could have been Ox Psych, mm. could have been Ed Psych. And it allowed them to choose what suited mm. them more. They got that ability to try things out and it sounds like yeah. you really made the most of yours and that's that's probably yeah why. the juice had to be worth the squeeze I was really <laughs> all about listen make the most of the opportunity and mm. I think as well because it's um you know uh when you kind of get the maintenance loan yeah uh, so kind of I had which, student loans etc which they don't do loan, anymore yeah but maintenance no kind of helped to in some ways fund whilst I was on because I was honorary so I wasn't yeah. getting paid for yeah. it so I still had to work as a as a healthcare worker right. whilst I was also um um doing the honorary role and to be honest mm. a full-time honorary role plus paying for your own travel mm-hmm. it's a lot to ask for some people like you know some people question whether or not it's even ethical but yeah on balance it gave me the richest experience um that helped me and being able to apply and thankfully get onto the doctorate so Mm. it's such a toss-up it really is yeah um but there are other ways of requiring experience yeah um, and I think you showed the balance as well like you had to do some paid work and you made sure that was relevant but at the same time that one day a week when you were doing the honorary you were able to make the most of that so it's about utilizing the time that you do have absolutely figuring out okay what can I afford to do literally what can I afford if it comes down to money like I'm gonna have to work some days which days don't I work what will I do in those days I don't work and and being real creative about Mm -hmm. it because so for example I run a mentoring service for Mm -hmm. um, people from minority ethnicities who are aspiring clinical psychologists yeah and I give them a list of professions that are paid so that once post-qualification if you don't have the money to do volunteer work yeah there are paid professional jobs that give you fantastic experience that Mm -hmm. maps onto the competencies that you need for the course Mm -hmm. so sometimes you just kind of have to be creative I must admit I started I remember the first day that everyone was going around talking about the different roles they were doing and Mm. there was all oh assistant psychologist this and there was PWP worker that and I was like um my CV looks a little bit different but equally afforded me skills in different areas that you know, my colleagues may have had different experiences in and, you know, you recognise that 
you, you've earned your place on the course exactly. however it is that you got there it's how you've made sense of your experience exactly. rather than racking up countless numbers of AP roles exactly. which will only give you so much so much it's really about kind of what did you learn from those roles Absolutely. how does that make you a better clinical psychologist yeah those being the real rich points that you reflect in your application forms I think that's really what it is it's about being working smarter not necessarily harder so not going for every single mm. AP job or RA job that you find AP is assistant psychologist and, it, and RA is a research assistant by the way yeah. it's about like making it work for you so choosing a course at undergrad perhaps that has a sandwich year being able to utilize that year or using your summers and other holidays to do healthcare yeah. assistant work in mental health wards finding paid activities there's so much paid work out there that's relevant to clinical psychology as well mm. so I think you're really right and okay so so next question is your doctorate so can you give me an idea of what actually occurs during the doctorate so I had an educational psychologist on last week and yeah. I was like what does what do you do for three years like it sounds strange because I did a PhD by research not a professional doctorate yeah it's a lot different so I'm really fascinated to find out like how a clinical psychology doctorate is structured so it is three years and it's a mix of kind of practical placements mm -hmm. and also you doing your thesis, um, your, your, your research project. Mm -hmm. So um, in terms of the placements at Surrey, they essentially you have one to cover each kind of um, Strand. step in the lifespan if you yeah. think about so you think about ch child and adolescence okay. and then also working with old adults working okay. with work, working age adults and then also one of working with learning difficulties mm. or learning disabilities sorry mm -hmm. um and then within that you also have a specialist placement where you kind of choose what field you might want to kind of explore as a potential career and I did mine in eating disorders oh. which was fantastic because mm. then I learned I don't want to do it so oh, right. okay. it's, it's always valuable <laughs> but it was for me a bridge between kind of the physical and mental health the idea around yes. the kind of the physical aspects of kind of um, eating disorders that I wanted to kind of test out mm. um, so yeah the course can look like um, part-time uh, a few days in the week for lectures right. studying um, learning about different presentations mm -hmm. and kind of clinical um, the underlying theories mm -hmm. and principles that you're working with and then the other half of the week is putting it into practice essentially you'll be mm -hmm. assigned clients within each placement and you're supervised and have an opportunity to observe others mm -hmm. and to work within a multidisciplinary team so it's very like it, it, it nicely helps you to kind of get a sense of what your day-to-day -day would look like as a clinical psychologist, um, which I think can be feel, it can feel a little bit far removed if you just do four years of studying, for example, mm. in your undergrads, mm. and then all of a sudden, yep, working world. So yeah. it's a nice way of being able to kind of make sure you're just, you're getting a sense of what does this look like in practice? Mm. Um, Surrey in particular don't have um, kind of written exams. Okay. They have uh, reports that you write. So you write a single case study report and right. then you do, um, various assessments throughout in terms of reports um, uh, throughout the whole three years mm. but you also do your thesis which you can choose topic 
within reason sometimes mm-hmm. we come with really ambitious ones and mm-hmm. it's great but you also gotta remember you got three years and you want to pass and <laughs> I've seen those ones I'm so, like just yeah. just you know tone it down a bit you know what can you really achieve just a little bit yeah yeah that yeah, sounds really help yourself but so I, I was able to kind of connect with my interest of, around working with minority groups mm-hmm. and mine was very specific in looking at help seeking behaviors of male international students Nigerian okay Okay. very very specific but yeah um so so who do basically do they go to seek support from when Mm. they've come over to a brand new country you're not Mm. with your normal kind of support network Mm. and you've got the stresses of being an immigrant Mm. you've got stresses of being an international student Mm. so student pressures deadlines um so how do they kind of make sense of looking after their mental well-being who do they go to yeah um so yeah that's what I was able to kind of focus on Bonding. and then of course you have a viva which is basically an oral exam mm. sorry I was just asking was it hard finding the participants for that study no actually because um at Surrey the highest number of international students come from Nigeria right <laughs> I see what so, you did there I see what but, you did. yeah okay <laughs> so it did really help um probably the hardest bit was people thinking it's a psychology um based project and actually their relationship to oh psychology hmm. I see that probably being the trickiest bit so Mm. framing it as kind of help seeking Mm. and just kind of wanting to get to know about people's experiences and just how I kind of um got my participants in terms of thinking around the African Caribbean societies Mm. and just being able to promote within you know those social groups really helped great and then sorry I cut you off when you're talking about your viva the dreaded viva it's probably a Freudian slip of where I was like I don't want to talk about vivas but how was (laughs) how was yours mine wasn't too bad actually I went in sweating bullets and (laughs) and came out and probably lost five pounds from the sweat that I was sweating (laughs) but actually I had really nice um exam examiners Mm. um so yeah it was uh, something you definitely play out so much more in your mind because you're like this is a piece of work for three years yeah but you remember that actually for three years you know this work intimately you have researched it back and forth like you know it's about kind of feeling confident in knowing that you are um you're the author of this work that's essentially what they're doing they're checking out you're the author of it yeah and also you're the expert because they haven't done the work you have although some of the examiners will be you know really well researched in the area and also fields yeah Yeah. they'll be experts in their own right but not necessarily experts in what you've researched so yeah you're the absolutely you're the one that's done all the work so and also I had the added value of it was a project focusing on the experience of kind of black African people. And I'm from, yeah. I'm, I'm black and I'm African. So yeah. say something to me. I don't know. <laughs> I just felt a little bit of extra confidence in I that. Love I love it. And it's, it, there is, you were able to relate to the participants who were Absolutely. able to relate to the literature. You were able to relate to yeah. the subject matter. So, and that, I don't know who your examiners were, but I'm assuming that they wouldn't have been being able to relate to it on a lived experience on a lived experience basis (laughs) on an intellectual basis maybe but on a lived experience basis no so that's something you have that they don't yeah absolutely and for the people uh, who are listening that not sure what a viva is so for doctoral level study your exam at the end of it is basically 
a spoken exam where you mm-hmm. write a research project over three or four years or however long you've done it for and you have to defend what you've written you've got to prove basically that you know what you're talking about so there'll be a panel of people you have to talk and they'll ask you questions about what you've researched the methodology mm-hmm. the results who you access mm. how you access them and you've got to answer the questions really and also the assessments generally they sound like they're much more they were much more practically focused on you as a clinical psychologist I'm talking about the reports you spoke of and I like yeah. that because it's not just write an essay for the sake of writing an essay not that that would be what you would be doing anyway but it's more about teaching you and giving you the experience of what you would be doing on a day-to-day yeah as a clean site yeah a lot more in depth because you would never be writing like a 10 page essay for one on client, et cetera. But mm. the idea of it was, do you have a theoretical understanding of the work that you're doing rather than just putting any intervention together mm. um, saying, actually, what is it grounded and rooted in? Mm. Um, but we did have a few kind of reflective essays to write, yeah. to think about, you know, yeah. Keeping up one of those core skills, reflective practice, which mm-hmm. is really important. But yeah. Um, but different universities and that's something that's important when you are selecting the university that you might want to do the clinical psychology doctorate at mm. is to check out their assessment process mm. so some will actually do active exams like yeah. timed exams like wow. GCSC Jeez. it was not my portion so I was like no <laughs> don't want to do not that again um, not again but but yeah, but for some people, they're, they're not fans of coursework. Mm. And so, you know, for that, that for those people, that, that model might work a lot better. Mm. Um, so the alternative handbook um, that's written every year allows um, the experiences of trainees across all the UK courses mm-hmm. to basically feedback what's the course like, right. what's the structure of the course, um, and also, you know, how do they do assessments, etc. And all of those things just kind of help you to make a more informed decision. And of course, you've got the open days too, which mm. have now moved virtually in light mm. of COVID. Um, these are great resources as well. Excellent. I like that, that they've obviously got like a booklet of what all the courses consist of. So then you can really make an informed decision and work to your strengths. So if you're not a coursework person and you love an exam or you're better at exams, maybe courses like that would be better off for you. But or having a bit more of a uh, an equal form of assessment but if you're more of a coursework person and not an exam person choosing a course accordingly I think that's really great absolutely and the great thing of the alternative handbook is that it's trainees feedback it's not Mm -hmm. a course writing a perspective Mm -hmm. sell and pitch to you Mm -hmm. it is trainees who have been asked to complete a anonymous survey and Mm -hmm. so people are real in their experiences they even reflect on what it was like during the interview phase, right. how, what they liked or maybe found a bit more challenging, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So you feel like you get more of an objective yeah. um, understanding of the courses. Absolutely. Um, yeah. From real life. And, and I mean, unfortunately at the moment, well, fortunately or unfortunately, students are consumers. So you're getting it from the consumer. Mm. It's kind of like a witch report, a witch, a witch review mm. of the, yeah, student, yeah. the student support and the student experience at each university. And that's really, really important. That's a good analogy, the witch report. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So you spoke about your current role um, in paediatrics primarily, but how did you obtain it? So like, did you just see the role and think, oh, I'm just going to apply for that? Or was there other roles that led up to it? So once I qualified, I, in my mind, I was like, I, I really want to work with sickle cell because right. then it can 
given that it's a, a condition that primarily affects people from black and Asian backgrounds mm-hmm. um and then it marries the physical and mental health and mm-hmm. I applied and they said I didn't get an I didn't have enough experience right so ironic when obviously you've just <laughs> qualified like come on um and then I saw a post come up at um Great Woman Street mm-hmm. and this being a world-renowned hospital I was like they are not going to take me if this other place won't take um, me and I don't have experience but yeah. I decided to shoot my shot mm-hmm. and by God's grace they were like yeah Amazing. definitely and I get to work in the international private patient division so mm. actually I'm working with issues around culture and difference mm. at the forefront mm. which I absolutely love mm. um it was just yeah for me everything was aligned and because yeah. faith is an important aspect for me I, I I would say that kind of God definitely kind of led me to that path I've, I've just really enjoyed it since because you've got a, learning like it's like you said it's a world-renowned children's hospital and so that kind yeah. of depth of experience that you're getting the irony of them the sickle cell people saying oh, you didn't have enough experience I mean now you'll be <laughs> you can go back and be like look look what I've got now try and say the same thing <laughs> maybe maybe I just needed to refine my interview skills from that first one who knows mm. maybe that would that helped me to be able to kind of get a practice in before maybe. going to gosh interview sure. um because it's rough out there like those interview skills are not something that you're born with it's definitely through practice mm-hmm. some people are really good at you know presenting themselves but there is definitely a way there's a finesse there's a there's a technique um and mm. the more you have the better you get so but the employment rate post-qualification for clinical psychologists is really good okay. so you know the, to kind of get on the role yeah and if you don't quite know where do I want to actually work you could do agency mm. um and work um, as like a locum get paid a higher rate yeah have a contract yeah locum that's it yeah. yeah and I think that's a really good point I think this is probably when I was talking to the trainee education psychologist uh, Jason last week we talked about and he said the same thing based because there is a shortage of educational psychologists if you can get onto the course do the course you're pretty much not guaranteed a job but it's easier for you to get one because you've gone through so many years of experience to even get onto the doctorate in the first place then you've got the doctorate and you're doing placements you're pretty much qualified to do most jobs so okay another question that I get quite a lot when when I speak about psychology in general uh, is a lot of people get confused between a clinical psychologist and a psychiatrist which is fair because they both sometimes work in healthcare settings so can you give us a little bit more knowledge on that like the differences between the two yeah I guess the 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 main thing to remember is that psychiatrists have gone through the medicine route so they've trained up as medical doctors Mm -hmm. and then specialized in kind of mental health Mm -hmm. by virtue of psychiatry Mm -hmm. whereas as a clinical psychologist we don't go through the medical route Mm -hmm. and so what you'll notice in the distinction between our practice is that psychiatrists will can um, prescribe medication in an effort to kind of support people with mental health difficulties. Mm -hmm. And as clinical psychologists, we use talking therapies, Mm -hmm. interventions to Mm -hmm. be able to kind of support the individual. Um, We work alongside our psychiatry colleagues because, you know, um, for example, with depression, the first line of intervention ideally would kind of be talking therapies rather jumping to oh here you go some meds mm. um, but there are some people who find meds really helpful uh, yeah. as a way of kind of being able to kind of almost um, allow them to engage a lot more in yeah. kind of mental uh, t- talking therapies mm. um, 
so those those are the main differences really yeah um and psychiatrists aren't necessarily doing therapy per yeah. se like yeah we are doing yeah unless they're doing a, they've done a separate training course yeah. for them to do that yeah they get it's the medical model primarily that a psychiatrist will be following whereas a clean site it will be slightly different depending on what their training was yeah and they get paid more than us yes so. they do but yeah so it's funny though when you at the beginning you talked about what your parents uh the roots oh you're a clever mm. girl Nancy why don't you do medicine and it's like mm. you basically have um you just took mm-hmm. a side step slight side step but actually when you add it all up it's the same amount of years <laughs> and you when they it is title. yeah but when they said oh you know they wouldn't do medicine really what it was that they were attached to was the doctor title which yes. I got exactly <laughs> so you got you got what you wanted and what they wanted so everyone exactly <laughs> yeah but it really like, helps they still get to go around and say oh my daughter is a doctor <laughs> psychology like yeah so <laughs> You get don't speak like that. That's just me. It's fine. Don't worry. (laughs) (laughs) But it's interesting, though, when you talk about the kind of fail safe, safe careers that our parents generally, especially parents of minority people from minorities, fall to. It's like, okay, you always have a job if you're a teacher. You always have a job if you're a doctor. You always have a job to a certain extent as an accountant because people need their money counted. Um, They're the fail safe. I know Mm -hmm. these careers. And that's what they lean on a lot of the time. And it, it's understandable, but these podcasts, well, this podcast series and in general, psychology is a viable career. And there's so many mm. different routes. And it's really interesting that you kind of were like, I'm going to do what I want, which is the same mm. as what I did. <laughs> I was like, no. And you you also don't know what you don't know. So mm. actually, if you think about how much is mental health or these other areas kind of spoken about within our communities, if you don't have that represent that mm. representation of that profession in your circle, yeah. you're less likely to aspire to it. Absolutely. So that doesn't mean that it's not a good profession. It just means you weren't aware of it as be- being a viable profession. Absolutely. So that's what I love about this podcast is that it puts it on the map. It helps you to kind of see that there are people working in these fields, which allows it to feel a lot more accessible for you. Yeah. This is the idea around kind of mentoring, isn't it? That actually mm. if someone, if you can see someone in that position, you're more likely to be able to feel connected to that career, to be able to mm. feel um, maybe even supported. You can mm-hmm. visualize yourself in, in, in that profession and what have you. So, mm. and also I guess with psychology too, if you think about just in terms of general mental health and how, much or how little that might be spoken about within your community mm-hmm. so the likelihood of people kind of being like yeah 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 go and work in psychology if everyone is avoiding and kind of thinking around very stigmatized mm. kind of ways of engaging with thinking around mental health and well-being mm. or only having negative or difficult stories of people being sectioned yeah. or people being you know being labeled as cursed etc depending on you know your religious framework and what have you these mm-hmm. things can make it really difficult for people to consider even a career yeah um in these areas yeah there's multiple there's multiple layers and those often present as multiple challenges as well when you have decided actually I want to be a clinical psychologist yeah or you know and you're trying to navigate this field because that traditional support that you may have had um if you were medicine or you've gone down the medicine route or accounting mm. where everyone's like oh yes we know this let's support you mm. versus someone say what is this yeah. what are you doing <laughs> really having it, to come in you know almost feel like you have to kind of justify it to the world and to your parents you know if I had a penny for how many times I've had to explain what I do I'd be a rich <laughs> maybe not a penny maybe a pound I'd have quite a few pounds now but yeah no definitely the 
yeah lack of representation um and it goes back to kind of like what that person who did a talk at your school slash college said that oh there's not many black mm-hmm. insights so just don't bother I'm like mm, really that's very a dismissive being mm. extremely lazy because actually it was it was interesting when I did my undergrad it was the local church I went to in Birmingham and I met and one of the members was a Klinzike who, who was a, who was qualified she was lecturing and doing private practice at the mm. same time and it's the first time I'd met any psychologist who was black and I was just like oh this is interesting I don't really think I know this knew the significance of it then I mm. do now because this was like yeah. you know I'm I'm getting on a bit so this was back in the day um so it's probably <laughs> even less so but I've literally seen in the last five five years especially two years such a massive increase in the kind of diversity in clean psychs and that's probably due to the visible role models now in psychology mm. especially clinical mm. psychology and like yes you can do it here are these platforms here are these groups mm. here are these individuals that are offering different things to help you navigate mm. through the application process I think mm. it's really important absolutely I didn't get to see my first black clinical psychologist until I was in my final year of training mm. so wow that's like six it's, years you know six, years. not having that visit and that was someone who came to teach on our course and she's now my mentor she's amazing yeah. um but really and truly to you know it's hard to kind of see yourself fit in a space where you don't see yourself represented none of my course lecturers Mm. none of the people who supervise me Mm -hmm. on my placements were from the same background as me or even shared the same kind of skin color as me Mm. Uh, so it what that looked like or felt like sometimes is almost questioning am I supposed to be here is this really a space for me can I be my most authentic self yeah um feeling like you have to somehow speak up on behalf of all black people in the world when you're at at lectures and kind of trying to be critical and thinking Mm -hmm. around the application of these models Mm -hmm. to um you know everyday lives etc but equally just you know for me it was a driver it was like a well that means that it's necessary for me to be here because how do these voices get heard how do these experiences get acknowledged if I'm not there occupying these spaces but it was really important for me to kind of connect with other peers um Mm. who shared some of those experiences whether it's across different courses Mm. um or or yeah just to yeah just to think about what my values are to kind of keep me going it's really important to kind of faced with all of that kind of like erasure of your own identity in everything that you're doing having a place where you can reconnect with yourself and who you are and what you need and how you can be a better clinician is really mm. important um okay so also next question i think one of the last what skills do you need do you to be an effective clinic i think um in terms of key skills I, I think curiosity is a really really um important skill yeah to have just in sense of it's really important to not to make assumptions and assume that you know mm. people the best mm. thing around kind of offering personalized care is to be curious around that person's experiences mm. but also how have they made sense of those experiences mm-hmm. so for example just because I'm going to see someone who is black and Ghanaian doesn't mm. mean that I'm going to know what it was like for them growing up etc mm-hmm. we shouldn't rest on our assumptions yeah um, I think that's key to being a good clinical psychologist mm-hmm. but also kind of good research skills kind of good team working skills mm-hmm. excellent community skills really good at listening mm. um being able to kind of just empathize with a range of different people mm-hmm. 
and just yeah having an interest in kind of how people think and behave yeah the thing around clinical psychologists is that we're more than kind of just therapists Mm. we also take leadership positions we also do research we also do teaching so it's a multifaceted role Mm -hmm. so those skills this is something that kind of people when they're thinking in the application form Mm. can be quite limited and thinking oh okay what skills can I show that make me a good clinical psychologist and they only think about the therapist related ones but what about what about teaching um Mm. what about kind of being a leader what about kind of uh research aspects Mm. you know these are the things that you need to kind of be thinking what skills and values what qualities what competencies do I have that allow me to be able to work well in these different areas because you qualify and you're a band seven and that's still Mm. quite senior I mean you qualify you're more senior than an OT that's just started and a nurse that's just started and they work damn hard Mm. so you know really and truly it's about what skills do you bring that helps you to be able to occupy that that position Mm. um those are definitely good good skills but I think that the ability to kind of reflect Mm. um and that's it's really just a fancy word of just being able to think how do you think about your experiences Mm -hmm. really being able to kind of step back Mm -hmm. um and think about how you're thinking thinking about the things that influence this is it Mm -hmm. is there um just being able to kind of think quite flexibly and being able to couch that into theory practice is even yeah. better yeah um so yeah there's kind of lots of the skills and these skills are the things that anyone can develop from mm-hmm. you know a levels etc when yeah. you're working with people and healthcare systems this is one of the most underrated but most valuable roles so true get to see people in their element you get mm. to see the realities so imagine being a psychologist and you've never even seen what mm. someone who looks like when they're depressed at yeah. home yeah how are you going to get a sense of okay I'm going to give you an intervention and don't even know what it's going to be like how mm. difficult or challenging it really is going to be like for them on a day-to-day basis yeah how difficult it is when they feel stuck mm-hmm. um you know, you can easily get frustrated if you don't have that empathy to quite to understand people's experiences. Yeah. So healthcare assistant roles, my goodness, they are so, so rich in experiences. Mm. Good tip. It's a really good tip because I know, you know, some trainee medical students, so, you know, medical doctors who do healthcare assistant work um, in the holidays, which gives them a really rich depth of that experience that they need to be able to relate to people um Mm. on the front line and also relate to other staff within Mm. healthcare setting because you come in as a doctor and or a clinical psychologist that you don't know the day-to-day roles of a healthcare assistant or a nurse or an Mm. OT and you're just like oh yeah do this do that it doesn't give you that awareness of actually how challenging their roles are and also how you can intersect with that to get the best of what you need out for the patient or the client that you're working with absolutely yeah you said it beautifully because it's not just also it's not just about um wanting to get better skills as a clinical psychologist or mm. just understanding experiences and services it's seeing how you work within a coordinated network of mm. professionals no professional kind of works in isolation mm. we are complemented by the nursing staff complemented by the psychiatrists and mm-hmm. the social workers so you really want to get a sense of well how's my role different from those mm. roles what mm. do we do that um complements that those roles yeah. one thing that I usually um share with my my mentees there's this great resource on UCL's website yeah and what they have done is they put together competency frameworks so it's mm. literally this competency map um it's a visual map and you click on it and then it breaks down into different areas mm. but what this competency map does is that it's been built up 
through research, through kind of leading experts in particular areas. So for example, people with physical health conditions, clinical psychologists working with kind of suicide and risk mm. or thinking about working with children and adolescents. And when you look at the map on the far left is the generic competencies. Everybody mm. who has interaction with these, um, this client group should hold these skills. But right. when you move further on to the right, these are specific skills to clinical psychologists. So on your application form, you want to be talking more towards the things on the right, things that, you know, are more unique to us. Mm. Um, but what it does is it offers you a, a way of being able to have an understanding of the language of the system. Yeah. Sometimes people have had the experiences, but don't know how to translate that onto application forms or in yeah. interviews, reading these competency maps. And they're really simple, kind of nice visual guides, yeah. um, very accessible, but no, not many people know that they exist. So being able to kind of get people to really think about, you know, how, how do I write my, my application form or yeah, how do I say this in a way that they understand what I'm saying about my experiences? And it helps you to think really flexibly too. Yeah. Because it's more than just allows you to consider different perspectives on Absolutely. the exact same issue. Absolutely. And also using that along with doing like a skills audit of your own skills to find mm. out where you are on like a on a continuum of, mm. you know, how competent am I at these skills that are, I suppose, needed for ClinSight? How do I mm. where have I got that experience or how can I develop it more if you're in the kind of post uni phase or during uni undergrad how can you develop those skills further to make you a better candidate on paper and practically I never even thought about that but you're right actually people could use that to kind of map out what more skills do I need or what areas do I need to work on or where can I be developing extra skills really nice tip actually yeah, I'm gonna take that back to my mentees. I was gonna say that would be perfect for your mentees. Bit, <laughs> bit of coaching slash mentoring there. Don't worry about it. I've got you guys covered, anyone. Um, and thank you for that. Um, I think all of those skills, like we said, are multidisciplinary. It shows that you're a multidisciplinary worker, and it shows that you have that knowledge of being aware of environment that you work in, which is really yeah, useful. where you sit in the system for sure. Exactly. So the last question, and we've already touched on this a little bit, but would you like to talk about your experiences of race slash racism during your journey to ClinPsych? So you've already spoken about that really helpful person that said, don't bother replying because (laughs) there's not enough of you. There's not enough black ClinPsych. So just, yeah, never seen one. Don't bother. Apart from that, have you received or seen anything that you thought this isn't great? And how did you overcome it? I guess, um there are there's no profession that comes to my mind that will be immune from experiencing this yeah um in a sense of that that salient experience of kind of race and especially if you're working in a predominantly white field yeah and so clinical psychology is a predominantly white field so yeah like there's 30 of us in the class across 90 I think there were five of us yeah sounds like my undergrad course (laughs) Oh, yeah. It, actually, you know what? You're right. That was exactly my undergrad course as mm. well. <laughs> um, but when it comes to in terms of experiences around kind of race, it, it even goes down to because there aren't many black psychologists mm-hmm. coming in on placement and someone by virtue of a microaggression being like, oh, yeah, yeah you're, you're a different profession. Yeah. Just yes. assuming that you couldn't possibly be like it's not your portion type of thing. Mm. And in some ways it can be frustrating but then in other ways you're allowing them to be able to challenge their very limited perception around who fits the stereotype of being a clinical psychologist Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um I remember once that um I was on placement with the other 
black trainee (laughs) and she dropped her ID badge and the person didn't even check there were only two black girls in the whole team they didn't even check to read it or care they just came and was like oh here you dropped your ID to me and I was like that's not my ID (laughs) to Um, read it like look at the picture we don't look the same you know, it's not about, oh, it's the black person thing. So mm. it's just, I guess it's those kind of microaggressions, like constantly a bit of wearing that can wear down on you and constantly feeling you have to kind of explain mm. your the space that you're in or just kind of feeling like, oh gosh, again, yeah. sort of thing. But in terms of overt explicit racism, no, of course you won't see that, but you'll definitely see those subtle undertones. Mm. Um, and for me, what's helped is to intentionally connect with other black life psychologists. Yeah. They are my tribe. <laughs> like for real, they, you just, it's the best way to be able to kind of battle that sense of imposter syndrome yeah. and to really connect and to share experiences and in a way that's really rich and meaningful um, mm. and being able to kind of infuse your work with your own culture. So for example, yeah. um, you can do interventions around kind of values the values-based living you know so someone's feeling kind of really depressed and those it's like well how can you live alongside your values and rather than kind of getting a list of values off the internet Mm. um I was working with a Ghanaian client and use Adinkra symbols like Mm. that was a great way of being able to kind of connect to cultural heritage using a language that was kind of similar to us both not literally like tree as a language but as in uh this idea that this symbol is representative of our culture and just feeling like you can be able to kind of disclose um those experiences but also recognizing the strength, mm. the strength in our unique racial experiences mm. in some clients being able to kind of feel more comfortable yeah. in talking about different aspects. Someone maybe that they've gone through, watch their P's and Q's as much because yeah. they can just feel actually, do you know what? It's okay. You feel safe. Yeah. And some shared experiences with those mm-hmm. service users that allow you to really just kind of be kind of curious like mm. I off the bat will ask somebody about faith as a religious framework for them mm. whereas some of my counterpart colleagues might not feel as comfortable because faith isn't as important to them mm. but for me it's around ask the question and let that person tell you whether or not that's important you don't make that decision by mm. saying I'm not going to ask them mm. Mm. Um, so it's really about that power difference yeah um, so yeah in those areas I've noticed that kind of race mm. kind of can work to your advantage absolutely um, so it's really about reframing it rather than it being kind of something that's more of a, a challenge, etc. It's like, how can we make the most of it? How can we, yeah, how, how can we add value? Absolutely. A black psychologist, how? Yeah, because there's so many dimensions that oh, for real. you can tap into and you don't even realise you're doing it mm-hmm. in any profession, Um and just having the cultural lens to be like, hmm, this doesn't work for this group. Like, I'm not going to even ask that question because it's irrelevant. I know what the answer is going to be or I'm assuming. So I can ask it in a different way. Mm. I'm going to ask something that or I'm going to talk about. We're going to talk about something else or we're going to talk about it in a different way. Or we're going to use this resource. And it helps. It gives the client what they need, essentially. And I'm not saying that if you're not from a minority background, you can't do that. You can. And there's Mm -hmm. a a way of teaching yourself to be aware of those things. But Mm. at the same time, if you're, I don't know, aware of the cultural impact Mm. of a client, then it allows that to come out and it allows that person to express themselves more authentically. Yeah, absolutely. Like understanding why George Floyd's murder was such a big deal Mm. in, in our community and being able to kind of feel okay to, for example, 
even like a week ago being able to step into a room of a Nigerian family who you know there's all this conversation about them potentially flying back home and me asking them about NSARS yeah how how has that impacted on and what that does builds rapport Mm. it builds that therapeutic relationship where people can start to feel a little bit more comfortable talking about some things that are not easy to talk about so yeah it definitely is something and also think about I guess my own interests, my research, mm. who else would really hold an interest in that specific research area mm. if not necessarily having a particular investment in kind of wanting to find out about whether it's around kind of black communities and how they seek health and what have you. So, mm. you know, it speaks to actually you might be you might be able to kind of explore research areas that mm other people have overlooked or other people don't necessarily Mm. aren't interested in very good point so finally just thank you so much for your time it's been really eye-opening for me like I think I don't think I've spoken to a clinical psychologist about their journey to clinical psychology before um and it's probably something I should have done before now because I just feel like I didn't know enough personally about the route Mm. especially the breakdown of the course what is it that you actually learn about and how and it sounds to me very very similar to a like any of the healthcare course so Mm. you've got like nursing where you do placement during the three-year degree same as medicine and medical doctors they will do placements in I think year three year four and year five as well as going to lectures so it's the same kind of framework but you're just looking at, at on a psychological level rather than any other level and I think just people being aware that it's not different from any of those courses and there's nothing like you're not learning how to read minds or be a mysticist of like (laughs) crystal balls and you know people lying on couches all day that's not what clinical psychs do maybe you know they might have a lie down after a client (laughs) but not during and those questions don't start once you're qualified. Oh, no. are you reading my mind? No, no child, no, I'm not. I, wi- I, I wish I, I could. Read minds. That wasn't in the training. Exactly. If, if people could read minds, like, <laughs> it would make everybody's job a lot easier. A lot easier. So yeah. the first mind I'd be reading is the person who holds in lottery numbers. That's what I'm... <laughs> Very good point. We'd all be rich if people could read minds. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Nancy Insia. It was great to talk to you. That was fun. Thank um, you for having me. Yeah, and just just keep in touch.